Um, did you get the chicken? That is not my chicken, and I couldn't get her. The other day, uh, what, what, what day was that? Friday. Friday, uh, Richard and I were driving down Broadway from 410, and there is a chicken crossing the road. He's like, oh my gosh, Mom, is that a chicken crossing the road? I have to get my camera. Anyway, so I text um, Tracy and Jason because I know they live right up there and from Sunset and Broadway, and they have chickens. And I was like, I think one of your chickens is out. You know, we pulled over in the parking lot, tried to get it, but... Um, Richard was like, Mom, what are you doing? And I was like, I, you know what? I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing, but yeah. Yeah, and so anyway, they're just, I don't know whatever happened to that poor. She's still, we're still getting alerts. Is that your chicken? We've got She's still on the run. people calling us. She knew how to dodge some cars. I mean, I was like, wow, it's, it, yeah. Anyway. It's crazy. We have people, random people we never met knocking on our door. I think one of your roosters is out. I'm like, no. You're like, no, we've got our, we keep our hen house in order. So, yeah, I hear you. Um, hilarious. Anyway. We're going to talk about today uh, Jesus commissioning us. You know, y'all, we've been, this whole year, we've been unpacking different, um, different pieces of the Lord's heart, of Jesus' heart, his wonders, his miracles, the way that he moves, the way that he moves towards us. And this is our last teaching wag, if you can believe it or not. Next uh, Wednesday will be really a celebration of community, a time of gathering, a time of joy and gratitude. And we look forward for you all to step forward and to share what WAG has meant to you this past year. So that's really what next Wednesday is about. Um, so today is really about what do we do with what we've, we've had this whole year? What do we do with, with the, the words that we, we've heard, the prayers that we've prayed? And um, nothing is going to sum that better up than his great commission in Matthew. But I want to start off with just a little... I want to I want to go back for just a second. Um, over spring break, I was driving my kids to Santa Fe. I love a road trip. I love um, watching the landscape change. I love the endless hours of just thinking. My kids are old enough to do their own thing, so I can put in my little earbuds. My husband was not able to go with us, so it was me and Georgia and Richard and his friend. And we're driving to Santa Fe, so we take that route out uh, towards Fort Stockton, and then we're going to turn up towards Pecos in New Mexico. And after we turn up towards Pecos, we're, you know, driving down, and I'm, the roadside has really changed, like, just become littered. And I thought, wow, I'm embarrassed this is Texas. You know, this didn't look, this didn't look like us. And we passed this rest stop, and it's <clears throat> just like a bench and a trash can and a little <laughs> portico over the bench or whatever. But it is littered. It is so littered with plastic bags and trash, like no one had been there for years to clean up. People had just dumped. It looked like a garbage dump. And as I'm driving, I'm thinking, wow, that's not a rest stop. That's like a mess stop. <laughs> and I just, all of a sudden, the Lord just breaks in. And I just get this understanding of how that looks so much like us. We're so addicted to the motion of life that we stop and we feel like it's too big of a mess that we're just going to plow on. We're just going to ignore it. We're just going to, because we'd get way too overwhelmed if we had to stop and really, really look at it. And it just gave me such a picture of how we, we choose to live our life at 70 miles an hour, motion, busyness, to-do list, and we're not going to fool with any of this. We're not going to stop to pick up the pieces of ourselves that we've left behind. And the Lord immediately said to me, I'm attracted to the mess. I'm attracted to the mess. And he reminded me in Genesis 1 where it start, the whole Bible starts off. And I'm going to read this out of um, the message translation 
Our whole story begins when he says, Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss. And the Lord said to me, that's what I choose to work with. The nothingness, the void, the emptiness, the blackness, the messes. That's what I choose to work with. So it leads us into, here we are at the Great Commission where um, Jesus has died. They have, he has risen again. He's told the disciples to go to Galilee. But before we just read through this, I want to paint the picture of maybe what they were going through. Because it's easy to read the Bible like one, two, three and forget what were their emotions. They were grieving. They were confused. I'm sure they felt shame that many of them had left their families to follow this man who was publicly crucified and humiliated. They felt like, what have we done? We really have nothing to go off of. They were exhausted. If you've ever been in a season of grieving, you know how absolutely exhausting that is. You know how when you grieve, it is hard to even have a thought. It feels so cloudy. Um, I'm sure that they were harassed. I'm sure the community around them uh, took the liberty of taking jabs at them. And then all of a sudden, Jesus rises, tells them to go to Galilee. And it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I love that it tells us that some doubted. Because I don't know if you're like me, I've doubted at times. Not everyone was like, yay, Jesus, you're back. They were exhausted. They were grieving. They were confused. They felt harassed. They felt shame. Some felt anger. And some were like, oh, now you're going to come back after you've left us and we've had to go through this alone. And he's getting ready to leave them again. They are just, I can't imagine the range of emotions they must be feeling. I can't imagine what they were striving to cling to, any kind of hope or truth. And some of them were probably like, you know what, I'm done. Like, I am out of here. I'm done with this. And it says, Jesus says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's Matthew 28, and it starts in verse 16, just if you want to write that down. Y'all, the key to the commissioning, here's the key to this whole piece. Jesus did not commission the disciples because they were ready. He commissioned them because they were in relationship. Jesus did not commission the disciples because they were ready. He commissioned them because they were in relationship with him. They were exhausted. They were grieving. They were confused. They felt harassed. They felt like, what have we done? And what I love about the Lord is he says, it's okay to be exhausted, grieving, confused, angry, doubting me. I'm not letting you know that I'm commissioning you because you're ready because you finally made it to this one place. I'm commissioning you because you're in relationship. See, it's not, um, doubt is not the danger. God does not get uh, rattled by doubt. 
That's not the danger. The danger is in disconnection. Disconnection from him. That's the danger. The doubt doesn't rattle him. He's okay with the doubt. You go back to Luke 22. This is probably probably one of my favorite passages ever that I reread and I reread and I ponder it in my heart. It is the place where Jesus is prophesying his death and he is saying to Peter, he's getting ready to let him know what Peter is going to do. And he says to him, Peter, this is Luke 22, 31, 32. Peter, my dear friend, listen to what I'm about to tell you. Satan has demanded to come and sift you like wheat and test your faith. But I have prayed for you, Peter, that you would stay faithful to me no matter what comes. And remember this, after you have turned back to me and have been restored, make it your life mission to strengthen the faith of your brothers. He knew Peter was going to doubt. He knew Peter was going to turn. Doubt does not rattle God. Disconnection is where the danger is. The Lord says, you all, y'all are ready because you're in relationship with him. You're not ready because you've gotten to this point and you've, if you memorized the Bible from front to back and backwards and forwards and you can you know, recite the Psalms in your sleep, that's not what he's saying. He commissioned you because you're in relationship with him. And when you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have been made ready The commission is there. And you have to realize you're not going to be tested. You've been found worthy, but your faith will be tested time and time again and again. Your faith is going to be tested. And every time your faith is tested and every time you come back, your commissioning is to turn back and strengthen your brethren. It's exactly what we have committed to do here in WAG. Because I will tell you, there are times that I get up here and I'm, it does not mean that everything in my life is perfect compartmentalized and everything's going great and everyone's feeling good and my children got off to school and they were happy and they cleaned their room and they kissed me and told me they loved me and sang worship songs out the door. That is not <laughs> what happened. That is not what happened this morning, I can tell you. Not at all. That's not what it means. I'm not up here because I'm ready or I've achieved a goal or the, or the Lord has said, you've checked all these things off. You've done it all right, Ashley. I'm commissioning you. I'm here because I'm in relationship with him. And I agree with what the Lord tells Peter, which he also says to us. When I turn back, I am going to make it my life's mission to strengthen my brethren, no matter what it takes. And I know that my faith is going to be tested every day. It doesn't mean like a season. It means every day my faith is tested. And I know that I am going to have to labor to rest in the Lord. We think resting in the Lord means, oh, this is just, you know, I'm just going to sit and relax. No, I have to labor to rest in him. And what does that look like? That means, um, for example, the other night, it was one of those times where I could tell that uh, my husband was in a really bad mood and he was in one of those moods where he wanted me to ask him about it so he could unload (laughs) and I was like "Mm -mm." and I was going to bed and I thought nope Lord thank you Lord Jesus that I I dwell in your shell I mean I just started praying over myself and over our home and I had to labor to rest in him 
Yes, I dwell in your shelter, Lord. Yes, I can sing in your shadow, Lord Jesus. I thank you. I love you. I mean, whatever I could think of, because I could just feel the, I could feel the tension, and I labored to rest in him. Your faith will be tested. You will have to labor to rest in him. We have to remember, if you were here last week, and I said things in the natural are not what they appear. We have a deeper story that is unfolding beyond what we can see and, and hear in the flesh. And it's the deeper story that, that really we have to understand that it's important that we stay engaged. It's important that we stay engaged with God and we stay connected to him. And we allow our faith to be tested. We have to be willing to trust God even when we don't get the answer because peace is not in the answer. Peace is in him and his name is Jesus Christ. We have to be willing to trust God even when we don't get an answer. The battle's going to wage on, y'all, whether we are engaged or not, whether we pick up our sword or lay it down. It doesn't matter. The danger isn't in the battle. You're in it. Whether you choose it or not, it, it, didn't, it didn't matter. The moment you were born onto a fallen world, you were in the battle. The battle's happening around you. It's the dangers and the disconnection. The danger is in the complacency that we decide, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm just, you know, my, everything's just right here. The danger is in the complacency. You know that, um, that myth that you hear about how a penny can derail a train? The Lord was bringing that uh, picture to mind when I was working on this because he was saying, you know, it's often really, it's the small ways that the enemy works against us that derails us. And complacency is one of those ways. We get where we feel like, you know, we're going down the road, everything's okay. We don't really have to work at anything. We don't really allow our faith to be stretched. We don't really risk anything because, you know, risking might mean I might embarrass myself or embarrass my family or I might get it wrong. You're going to get it wrong. I get it wrong. You're going to get it wrong. It's okay. But complacency is actually the breeding ground for disconnection. That's actually where the enemy loves to get you. Because his whole scheme is to go unnoticed. And if he can go unnoticed, then you don't realize you're just sort of adrift and you're drifting further and further and further away from the Lord because you're just kind of zoning out. You're just sort of numbing out. You're just sort of going along. You know, we're very good at recognizing the big stuff in our life. We're very good at praying for the big stuff. But it's the little stuff where the enemy uses to come against us and to bring that little wedge that's going to have the tentacles that then he can seed into our life a little bit more. And it always starts with the small things. And you know, nothing in the spiritual is actually small. That's what we forget is that everything has significance. Everything that we're doing, everything that we're a part of has significance. The other, other day, my daughter, um, and this is a true story. She'd lost this necklace she was mad at our rescue kitten named Harambe, that my son named, who, yes, has a mean streak. I will be honest. Um, he's not my favorite pet we've ever had. He's just has fits of violence. Um, I've tried deliverance. We're still working on that. Um, Harambe had probably gotten up on her bathroom counter where she has her necklaces and had played with one of her favorite necklaces, and it was gone. 
and she was angry because her bathroom door had been left open when she was 100% sure that she had shut it, of course, so we're going to blame somebody, um, and the necklace was gone. And so, you know, she was really, really getting worked up about this, and, and I just said, you know, Georgia, um, let's pray about it. Nope, she was going to blame somebody. She was going to be angry. So the day went on of just this anger and offense, not only at Harambe, but just now it had become everyone in the house who'd ever gone into her bathroom. And most likely it was Richard's fault. And Richard hadn't even been there. And I finally, she was just exhausted herself about this. And I said, Georgia, I said, Let us, let's ask the Lord's angels to find the necklace and bring it to you. Because I've done that before and they will. I have literally done that before. And she's like, okay. And I said, all right, this is how we ask. Lord, we know you see where that necklace is. We ask that your angels bring it to a place where we will easily find it. Just, just let it be there. Just, just bring it to us. Please send your angels to find the necklace. And I said, Georgia, let the offense go. Let it, just, just let it go because the Lord will work when you're letting the little stuff go. You know, surrender, y'all, is actually an exchange. It's not a giving up. It's not a letting go. It is an exchange. I'm going to surrender my offense, my disgruntlement. Is that the little, whatchamacallit parade? Oh, yeah. cute. Oh. The little cuties? Uh, yes. Um, surrender is actually an exchange. It's not like we just give up and we fall down. It's like, you know what, Lord, I'm giving you my offense because I want your blessing. And if not an hour later the necklace appeared on the very bottom step where we had looked all day long, laying there. Amen. God works like that, y'all, in the little things. And we don't think about the little things. We pray for the big things, and we forget the enemy is working to nip at our heels on the little stuff. And the little stuff is what gets us down. It's what keeps us feeling like we just live with a low level of depression or disgruntlement or discontentment. We can't ever seem to really uh, access the joy because you know what? We've prayed about the big things, but the little things, we've just let the little foxes run around. We've just let the little foxes run around and steal from the vineyard. And God's saying, surrender is an exchange. Give me that. That little thing that's bothering you, I want to take care of that. I want to bless you. You know, if, if Jesus... If you remember the parable about the mustard seed and how the Lord was talking about how the kingdom of God is just the size of a mustard seed. It's just little. And, and if, if that little mustard seed can grow and bloom and become something extraordinary, let me tell you something. The enemy works the same way because he can only counterfeit what God's doing. The kingdom of darkness starts with something really small. And then he gets that little wedge in there and then he can kind of get his tentacles in and start to grow the bitter root. He can start to bloom in resentment. He can only copy what the Lord does. So if we know the kingdom of God is as small and as powerful as, as a mustard seed, we know the enemy can work in small little ways to cause us to turn away, to cause us to just become complacent, to cause us to just uh, sort of sit back and, and let things be. You know, it's, you've heard me talk about the saying, you know, it is what it is. No, it isn't. The Bible never said, Jesus never said it is what it is. He never used language like that. He never said that. Mm -mm. He spoke with victory always. You know, the, the necklace thing I could have said to Georgia, well, it just is what it is. Oh, well. I was like, no. You know, 
The angels will do this. They've done it for me before. I lost a ring and I literally found it three months later just sitting perfectly on top of a perfume bottle out of nowhere. I prayed for it. I let it go. And then there it appeared. I thought, thank you, Lord. He does want the angels to minister to us. He does want to take those little things. You know, when I often pray with people, they, they'll say to me, well, gosh, you know, Ashley, this sounds really silly, or this seems really small. And then when we start to unpack it, we're like, oh my gosh, that was a root. Like this thing that seems so small was actually a root. And I'll give you an example. Um, the other night I was going to bed and all of a sudden the Lord brought back a memory that if you had asked me to remember, I would have said, I no. I mean, this was deep into my subconscious and it just popped into my the forefront because I as I said to y'all last week I have felt like we've been in a blender it's been tough we've been through a really hard hard season and the picture he showed me was I was probably 10 or 11 years old and I remember at that time some of you may or may not remember there was this cartoon character named Ziggy does anyone remember Ziggy and Ziggy I remember having these posters of Ziggy up around my room but what I remember about Ziggy was he was also called America's most adorable loser. And he partnered with a spirit of defeat. And he made defeat sound funny or humorous. And it was always like everybody got to the finish line but me. Everybody could do it but Ziggy. Or he was kind of had all the hard knocks. And the guy, the cartoon was always taking uh, the hard knocks and sort of making fun of him. And the Lord showed me how I was partnering with the spirit of defeat by, by putting those up. They had become like declarations around on my door of my room, around my room. And I thought, oh my gosh, I was in fifth or sixth grade. And right there I said, Lord, Lord, thank you so much for showing me that. And I put the finished work of the cross between me and any curse of defeat that is trying to come against me right now. Because it is easy to feel defeated. It is easy to feel so pressed that you just want to be complacent and say, I'm done. But I thought, isn't that fascinating, the small things? I would have never, ever, ever thought of that. I would have gone back and tried to find some major trauma or something. But it's the small things the enemy uses, as well as the big things, to come against us and to go unnoticed. So what I'd like for you to, to think about is, what are some of the ways that you can change some habits to bring God into those? You know, keep watch, be alert, but what, what are some of the ways that um, you can start to change little habits that you're doing? You know, taking the time to pause and allowing God to reveal what is your mind feeding on? Is it a healthy diet of scripture? Is it um, an indulgence of worship or is it boatloads of busyness and a big uh, binging on grumbling and complaining what is your mind feeding on might be good to ask him when we leave here today and just take the time to ask pay attention to the small habits that you've developed because sometimes you know we think we've got to stop and tackle those big issues but the small things is what God really wants to come in and start to intervene on and when you give him the ability to pause, then he begins to bloom and you begin to live out of the overflow of his heart versus trying to just keep your life going, just trying to keep the pot stirred, just trying to keep the motion happening. Because it's the addiction to motion that is actually keeping you from receiving the revelation 
that the Lord's wanting to bring into your life. It's that um, we think we're sort of protecting ourselves with a spirit of busyness. And all it's doing is actually just beating us down. Giving the Lord time to intersect your everyday. I mean, it could be as simple, y'all, as I'm not going to drive with any uh, music on and I'm going to be in silence and just thank God. It could be as simple as if when I'm doing my household chores, I'm just going to put worship on. Just think of one thing, one small thing you can change. Because a lot of times what I see people do is when we come together, like, you know, I'm going to radic- I'm going I'm to get up two hours early every day. They start on this hardcore thing, and it doesn't work. Start small. God just needs this. He just needs the mustard seed. Just give him the mustard seed of time. You know, maybe it's just five minutes. Um, when my kids were little, literally it was, they, and they'd follow me to the bathroom, I'd shut them out, and I'd, I would pray, okay, this is my five minutes. Because you know, when you have little kids, like, you don't have time. What, what did you say? The addiction to motion is keeping you from the revelation of the Lord? That mm-hmm. Yeah. That is so good. Yeah. It is. Addiction to motion keeps us from receiving the revelation of the Lord, from, being a, from Him being able to deposit into us. Little kids, you know, God doesn't need five hours a day to work a miracle in your life. He just needs you to turn to Him. Half the time, the revelation that I receive, the revelation that I, I write down is driving down the road with my kids in the car, um, like I shared last week, going to my son's track meet. I mean, it wasn't like I had set all this time aside, but when I'm driving, I always give that time to him. Why not? I don't need to, if the worship music's on, then I'm worshiping. Or sometimes I just turn it off and I just talk. The small way, what's the small way that you could just change today? Just one little thing that you're doing different, and just do it differently. And just say, Lord, how, how do we want to partner? It doesn't matter what it is, what you do. Just, just look at that. <clears throat> you, you are commissioned. I mean, the good news is, and the, maybe to some of you, the scary news is, is you have been commissioned by Jesus Christ, not because you're ready, but because you're in relationship with him. And he says to you, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, each and every one of you, go and make friends with all peoples. Same thing as make disciples of all nations. You realize it doesn't mean like, okay, Ashley is going to go and take the, the nation of uh, Argentina today. That's not what it means. Nations mean peoples, different kinds of peoples. We are a nation, a nation of WAG, or it could be your family. Go and make friends. Go and make disciples of everyone that you come in contact with, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey with great love. Obedience comes through great love, great love for the Lord. Everything that I've shared with you, everything that I've, I've given you. This is Jesus saying this to each and every one of us. And he says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Y'all, we've got to allow our faith to be stretched. We've got to be willing to share our faith with our community. We've got to be willing to know that sometimes we're going to make to mess up. Our faith will be tested. We will have to labor to rest in him. Those things are guaranteed. You will not be tested. You have been found worthy. I love what it says in Colossians 3, 2. It says, feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities, not with the distractions of the natural realm. 
I want to read it one more time. And this is out of the Passion Translation. What's the reference? Uh, Colossians 3.2. Feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities and not with the distractions of the natural realm. What does that look like? On that same spring break, I had um, rented this little house. So my daughter, George, is there. He's 18. My son and his friend. I got up one morning. I took him and his friend 30 minutes up to the ski slope. They're 14, 15. They were fine. And he's my third child. It's okay. And so we're like, oh, my gosh. You, like, left your kid at the ski slope. He was fine. Um, We had a plan. We had strategy. It's okay. Um, And then I drove back down. Georgia was still asleep. I had my journal. I had my Bible out. I just made my hot tea. The sun was coming in on the patio. I was just going to sit down. And I'm walking, and I hear this voice that says, you need to be doing something. And I stopped and went, I guess I should get Georgia up. I mean, we're in Santa Fe. We need to see the sights. We need to go do this. Like, I, I almost bought it. And then I thought, wait a minute. This is what I want to be doing. And I realized that line, you need to be doing something, is the pickup line for anxiety and stress. (laughs) He's going to bait you, and it's all about taking the bait. I almost took the bait. That is anxiety's pickup line. You need to be doing something. And I want to tell you, the moment I sat down, I got more revelation of... uh, stuff in the heavenly realm than I have had in a really, really long time. And I thought, no wonder he wanted to stop me and make me feel like I need to run all over Santa Fe. I need to take a picture at every monument. I need to look really happy. I need to post this. I need to post that. I've got to make this, paint this big picture that we have had the best time in Santa Fe, New Mexico versus me just sitting down and enjoying that. And then an hour later, here came Georgia, sleepy, made her hot tea. We sat We talked for two hours just about what's on her heart. I would not have had that time at home because at home things um, have a different pace. But I thought if I had taken the bait, I would not have had what the Lord had for me. I mean, even this morning, y'all, as I'm preparing, because Kelly texted me last night, I, I can't, I've had a dental emergency. I said, no worries, I've got this. And I'm working on this and I'm all this like, you know what, this is just dumb. Like you can't, this is, you can't even say this. And I thought, I know who that's from. And I was like, you know what? You're the one who's dumb. You're the one who's not going to say anything to me. And you're the one who'd better do something because you are the one who is shriveling and dying because God's glory is encompassing this earth. No matter what we see, think, or feel, the Lord is coming in a beautiful, beautiful way. And I am going to deliver this message so you can sit down and watch me and you can watch me from the front row. That's how I talk to the enemy. I do not take his bait. And we had better start learning how to address him head on and quit taking the bait or quit being complacent so that he goes unnoticed. That is his great scheme. If he can go unnoticed and you can take the bait on the little things, then he's just going to take you down a path of complete misery. And you are going to feel so jumbled up in your thoughts and your, and your mind. And you're going to let the influences of our world drive your perception. And he is after your agreement. We've said that before. Your agreement is the most sought-after commodity in the spirit world. He's the one that better do something. I was doing exactly what I had wanted to do with the Lord, and the Lord knew that. You need to be doing something. I thought, ah, 
And I was so grateful the Lord uncovered what, that's what anxiety sounds like. You got to be doing something. You got to get on that wheel. Got to get this done. Got to get that. That doesn't mean that we don't have things we need to do in the natural. I'm not saying that, but I am saying it is okay to carve out that time with the Lord. And let me tell you, if I had known over spring break what would unfold the next four weeks, I would have given more time to God because I needed every bit of what he poured into me. God is very previous, and I am so grateful that I keep a journal because there are times doubt does come in. And like I said, God is not rattled by doubt. Doubt is not the danger. It's disconnection. Disconnection is the danger. Here's how I want to commission you all today. Um, Back in March, the Lord had given me uh, a very specific word for women. And, I'm, and I, th- I thought I was going to deliver this word at the beginning of April, and um, that just didn't happen because life happened in a very messy way. My, I was at my mess stop. And um, so I didn't get to, but I'm going to today. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to get into a posture of receiving. And receiving means you don't have to prepare. To, you don't have to work at this. If you have anything in your lap, you can just put it down. If you want to write something, that's fine. But just receive this word from the Lord. And this was a word specifically for women that he gave me on March 10th. And he said, there is a transformation happening to women all over. A current of vulnerability and strengthening over our shared fears and weaknesses is making this generation quite extraordinary. There is an authoritative grace being released on women. That tender-hearted, soft touch is destroying dark kingdoms. Don't be convinced that you need anger, offense, and bitterness to see change. It is the tender grace of the kingdom of God that is going to destroy Satan's schemes. Even palaces of darkness that have been built for ages are getting ready to topple to destruction. Long-time establishments will quake and fall to ruin as the fair maiden of Christ awakens to her voice of joyful grace. The terror of the night will run from itself as beauty walks down the street. You, my ladies, are effortless grace that will rise and come forward with the greatest outpouring of grace the world has ever seen. Grace sustains the glory. Grace overlooks the mess and sees the miracle. Grace wipes away the ugly words and dresses others in beauty and truth. Grace casts out fear of man and crushes the sword of the enemy before it comes near. Grace calls to all men and women and tucks them into the bosom of God. Grace lays out the carpet of forgiveness and washes us clean with the blood of Christ. Grace is the breath of God. Grace sustains creation with God's unrelenting love. Grace is outrageous. Grace is nurturing. Grace looks past the present trouble and pulls his presence into the middle. Grace is the glue of God. Grace emerges triumphant. Grace is weightless. Grace transforms trouble into triumph. And grace knows how God's heart beats. Grace is timeless and on time. Grace offers a place for glory to land. 
such, there has been such an assignment of destruction on women to hijack their mouths, their looks, their wills, and to make them hard of heart, to make them crusty and sarcastic and mocking. But we, women, will be known by grace. Seek out the grace givers in your life. The grace givers are those who move in opposition towards you. Not the ones that are encouraging you, but the ones that move in opposition towards you. Seek them out and bless them. This is how grace becomes tangible. When you move towards the opposition in grace and you will dismantle judgment with blessing and you will dismantle arguments by prayer versus having to be right. This is what the Lord shared with me about each and every one of you. So Lord Jesus, I thank you for the great commission that we get to go out and be grace givers, that we get to risk with grace, that we get to be triumphant, that we get to live as women who are burning with grace and love and forgiveness and blessing in a world that so desperately needs to hear your voice, that needs to be held by you. I thank you, Jesus, that this is a day that we will lift up our countenance and we will walk out of here strengthened solely by your love, strengthened by your words that you pour into each and every one of us, that we will no longer uh, bend to the assignment of destruction. We will no longer bend to anxiety. We will no longer drink from a cup of, of despair and depression. But Father, fill us right now with your grace. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move on every single woman in this room that you would move on those places that have felt crusty and hard, where they have felt hurt and wounded, where they have felt lost and left behind, that you would move right now on those places and that you would bring your grace and your love, that you would bring such a wave of glory into their life that they would not even recognize how their transformation has happened, that the beauty of the inside would be so evident to this world. I thank you for their hearts to hear. I thank you that you would keep their eyes watchful, that you would keep their hearts soft, and that you would protect them in their coming and in their going. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all, I am here for prayer for about 20 more minutes. If anyone, Ann and I, are both here, if you would like.